Hi, you're listening to Fairwinds Energy Education's podcast, hosted by the Fairwinds crew. I'm Maggie Gunderson, and I'm here to welcome you to the show. Today, I'm joined by Arnie Gunderson, Chief Engineer for Fairwinds, and our special guest, Dave Lockbaum, Director of UCS, Union of Concerned Scientists, Nuclear Safety Project. Dave and Arnie, it's great to have you here today. Thank you, Maggie. Hey, Dave. Hey, Arnie. So, Dave, today we wanted to talk to you about the NRC-7, the story you did in the beginning of March, petitioning the NRC over safety. We understand that there are some significant problems that seven nuclear engineers at the NRC brought to the NRC and was there since 2012, since the problems were discovered at Byron Station. And nothing has been done to rectify those problems countrywide. Could you talk a little bit about that issue, beginning with Byron? Yeah, definitely. In, in January of 2012, um, Byron had a uh, an electrical short out in a switch yard. That's the connection between the power plant and its off offsite power grid. That electrical short should have caused the normal power supply to be disconnected and a more reliable power supply, the on-site emergency diesel generators, to be connected to emergency equipment at the plant. But due to a design problem, that didn't happen. Instead, the, the degraded power supply continued to be fed to normal and emergency equipment at the plant. The, the, con the problem with that was that the, the lower voltage or the, the degraded power could have caused motors for primary safety systems and their backups to be uh, disabled. As a result of that, the NRC determined, ask every other plant owner if they had the similar kind of design vulnerability. And the answer they got from every plant in the country except for Seabrook in New Hampshire was that we have that same problem. Even the new plants being constructed in South Carolina and Georgia had that same design problem. So the NRC took an event at one plant, did some homework, and found out that it was a generic problem affecting basically every plant in the country. The industry developed a fix for it, and what was missing was action by the NRC to compel owners to go out and fix this widespread problem. What would have happened if you know, this had happened at other plants, what would have been the risk to the public? Well, the risk that was calculated by the NRC for that kind of problem at Byron, if it were to occur again, was that the chance of reactor meltdown goes up by over 100. Normally, the chance of a meltdown at an average plant is one in a million years. This was 100 times more likely to lead to that if, if it were to occur. Um, it, it doesn't mean that if, if you have this open phase condition at your plant that you're moments away from meltdown, but it does mean if you have this condition, that outcome is much more likely to occur. So, Dave, in the article that I read that you wrote, you said that the reactor risk at Byron and at any plant that would have this issue for the open phase condition is one meltdown every 10,000 years, correct? That's correct. Okay, so what I'd like to know from you and from Arnie, and part of the reason I wanted to have this discussion, is what is the risk for a nuclear meltdown overall? You said one in a million years? 
it's it's in that ballpark. Individual plants vary, but that's typically the range you see. Whereas this event of Byron was at least a hundred times greater chance of that bad outcome. Okay, here's what I can't understand. We've had five serious meltdowns in 35 years worldwide, beginning with Three Mile Island, March 28th, 1979. So how does that factor in to their calculations? Obviously, um, it's certainly not one in a million years. It's very creative math that's practiced in order to yield that one in a million. Math is, is a good tool in the right hands, and it's a bad tool in the wrong hands. For example, math would tell you if you had a room filled with 10 women and 10 men, that the average person in the room has one testicle and one ovary, but reality would say you didn't nail anybody in that room. So math in the wrong hands is a bad, can lead to bad outcomes. The one in a million years is very optimistic numbers calculated by the nuclear industry. And as you noted, the reality is we across the, across the world, we have one reactor meltdown about every five, 6,000 years. So there's a disconnect between reality and the math that the NRC and the industry are using. Well, the way I see the math, and let's simplify it a little bit for everyone around the country and worldwide who's listening to us, in the last 35 years, we've had five meltdowns. To me, that's one every seven years. Good point. The, the, when I say one in a million years, it's, it's reactor years. So in this country, we have approximately 100 reactors operating. So in a year, we accumulate 100 reactor years of, of experience. So I left out the reactor years in that in that term. It, the math is still wrong, but it's not quite as wrong as, as it would be otherwise. You know, when I was over in, uh, in Japan, somebody said it's just a great one-sentence quote. They said, if you accept nuclear power, you accept that there's a chance of a nuclear accident. And uh, we seem to not do that. You know, as a country, our our, our leaders and uh, just don't believe that one in a million can ever really happen. Kind of like the nuclear Titanic. You know, the, an accident in a nuclear power plant is unthinkable, just as this Titanic was thought to be unsinkable. Yeah. So, so how did this problem get resolved at Byron uh, nationally? It's still a work in progress. Uh, the petitioners are seeking to end the stalemate and have the Nuclear Regulatory Commission compel other owners to, to implement the fix that has already been installed in Byron. I got to back you up there, Dave, because there's this thing called the uh, EIE, rather, industry experience. And yes. every plant is supposed to go through the um, information notices and look at problems and say, whoa, that uh, definitely applies to me. I should do something about it. So there's an individual initiative expected here when a problem happens at one plant. Did that industry experience get filtered through the nuclear industry? Yes, but it didn't lead to the fixes being implemented for a couple of reasons. One, I, I can understand. It wasn't until July of 2015 that the NRC published its answer key on what it would find as an acceptable fix. That came through a revision or addition to the standard review plan, New Reg 0800. Some owners would, would want to wait until they saw what the NRC would find acceptable before they spent the money for a fix that might otherwise be deemed unacceptable. I don't quite understand because this notice, original notice, was in 2012. And didn't Byron find a fix in 2012? And didn't they offer that hardware fix to the whole industry? They did. Uh, and Exelon implemented that fix at all of their plants except for Oyster Creek, which is 
uh, going to be shutting down at the end of this decade. But all other plants, they've already implemented that fix. Part of the problem is that the other owners are also waiting for enforcement discretion. If they voluntarily implement the fix, that will be an implicit concession that they've been outside federal regulations for decades. So part of what the industry is waiting for is immunity from past sins so they can go ahead and implement this fix. So enforcement discretion is sort of like um, a get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly? It's very much like that, yes. Um, it, it removes all liability from plan owners for busting federal violations. Okay, so moving right along here, NRC staff then got involved uh, and, and thought that there was a problem and pushed the NRC to do something about it. You said something like, let me quote from your article, as a result, the NRC staff concluded that the plants may not be in compliance with existing regulations, may not. The NRC recommended that the NRC take action to require all owners to fix the design vulnerabilities at their plants. So this is another design error. It's been more than four years that it's been recognized and it's sitting there and still no action. That's that's the way the situation is, but it's not an isolated case. Fukushima was more than five years ago, and we're still waiting for those fixes. The Browns Ferry fire was more than 40 years ago, and Browns Ferry still doesn't meet those regulations. So um, it's not an isolated case of problems that are known and solutions that are not yet implemented. So, you know, for the NRC, what's the big difference? I mean, they've waited 40 years on one plant, so why wait? Why have fixes made in only four years. Is that what you're saying? Well, part of it is it took a while. The NRC, they reacted to the 2012 event by asking all other plant owners whether they had the same problem or not. So basically, they were trying to get their arms around the, the scope of the problem. They had that answer by February of 2013. They got the NRC's permission to go ahead and work towards solving the problem, which led to the answer key that was made public in July of last year. That's when the staff felt management let them down by not taking the next step. We've got, we know the problem. We know who it affects. We, we have the, the answer key developed. Let's go out and require plants to, to make this fix. That's when the, those seven felt that the NRC was dragging their feet. So they s sought some way to speed things up a bit. Well, I really want to talk about what happened on February 29th, 2016, when those seven NRC staff members submitted a petition to the NRC. Could you walk us through that a little more thoroughly? There is a measure of the NRC's regulations called the 2.206 petition process that allows any member of the public to petition the NRC seeking enforcement action. In this case, the seven NRC engineers acting as private citizens and not as NRC employees submitted a petition under 2.206 asking the NRC to compel this fix to be implemented at all plants or if that's not done, require all plants to be shut down immediately. Um, that second measure is typically thrown in as just a carrot and stick thing to make the first option look more uh, reasonable. Um, but th they basically, those seven had essentially felt that they exhausted all internal options for getting this problem solved and felt that some outside pressure was needed to get a safety regulator to regulate safety. That's really a very bad indication that the safety culture within this agency, the NRC, is uh, not what it should be. So, Dave, you were a nuclear whistleblower in what year? 1992. 
and Arnie was a nuclear whistleblower in 1990. So in all that time, nothing has changed. The culture is still the same. When I took this job in 1996, uh, because of my experience and Arnie's experience and some others that we knew, I knew that this position, I'd get calls from plant workers who felt that they'd not gotten the right response when they raised safety issues. What I didn't expect is that I get more calls from NRC staffers than I get from the industry combined. I get more calls from the NRC staff than all the plants operating in the United States combined. So the NRC often talks about chilling effects at Millstone and elsewhere, yet they've got the largest refrigerator in town. Oh, that takes my breath away because we get a lot of whistleblower calls and a lot of questions from all over the world, but we don't get them from NRC people. There's hardly a week goes by that I don't get a call or an email from, I've had two today, and it's Monday. Oh my gosh. You know, when I think about the NRC, I think about what we went through with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and an Office of Inspector Inspection, to which OI said that there was nothing to Arnie's concerns or allegations and nothing had happened. And Senator John Glenn and Senator Lieberman asked for an inspector general investigation, and that report was scathing, and there were several follow-ups, which showed that NRC staff covered up the entire fraudulent thing. So the first report was released in 1992. And, you know, we lost everything. We lost our home, our pension savings because of NRC games with our, with our life and their culture of never telling the truth. You know, it's interesting how people have to go to extraordinary lengths to get a problem acknowledged. Now, here's these seven guys from the NRC writing a petition at night on a kitchen table so that they could do it as private citizens. And Maggie was a reporter back in 92. And uh, being a reporter got us some publicity which then led to, uh, you know, the inspector general becoming involved. How many thousands of people don't rise to that, that level that, you know, don't uh, file a 2206 petition as seven citizens or, you know, in our case, get, uh, get Senator John Glenn involved? You know, for every one or two that makes it over the top of the wall, there's, uh, there's dozens uh, of bodies that you're climbing over to get to the top. That's what concerns me. It's, it's the, you know, I'm heartened by the fact that these seven chose to put their careers on on, on a line to get a safety issue, uh, some attention to a safety issue. But I agree with you that I'm concerned about those who don't want to risk their career. And, and I don't fault them at all. The system is not at all sympathetic to people who raise safety issues. But I worry about those who don't. Many of the materials I get are in prong brain envelopes with no return address. So hopefully those are people who have a conscience and are looking for some way to, to get attention addressed without putting a target on their backs. I'd like to acknowledge the courage of these seven. It takes a lot of courage to do this, to put your career and your income and your family in, in such jeopardy. And we all know what that means firsthand. It is, uh, again, I would understand they're, they're remaining silent because the system is just churns people out. I've heard people call it ethical cleansing. If you have ethics, you get cleansed out of the industry. Um, but I do respect the courage of people. And that's part of what motivation for doing the blog was hopefully 
putting some attention on the issue will give them some protection against uh, action, retaliatory action the NRC might take. I hope so. I sincerely hope so. Because I remember a few years ago, some whistleblowers came forward about the dams near the Oconee plant, and they were harassed, weren't they, and drummed out? They're still with the NRC. Larry Cresson and Richard Perkins did go public with their concerns. Larry, very vocally, uh, and he was investigated now three times by the NRC's inspector general for alleged wrongdoing. After one investigation, they said he could voluntarily resign or they turn their efforts over to the Department of Justice for prosecution. He refused to resign because he'd done nothing wrong. They did turn it over to the Department of Justice, who declined to prosecute. And I have a copy of the letter that Department of Justice sent back to NRC, and the reason for not prosecuting Larry was because he didn't violate any statutes. So at least DOJ won't prosecute you for doing nothing wrong. Um, didn't bother the NRC. The other person was Dr. Michael Peck, who was the senior reactor inspector for the NRC out of Diablo Canyon. He raised some issues about seismic protection near that plant and was subjected to inspector general. He's now had three. Apparently, he and Larry in a race for the most inspector general investigations. He, he saw the handwriting on the wall. After one meeting, they told him, we have 32 investigators and plenty of time. We'll find you doing something wrong eventually. Um, so he saw the writing on the wall and actually applied for a different position with the NRC. He now is the BWR reactor technology instructor at the training center here in Chattanooga. He took my old job. But yet, people within the NRC, it's a safety regulator. Their job is to regulate safety and, and worry about safety issues. And yet, if you do so, the response by the agencies to investigate you for, for raising safety issues. And that instead of getting awards, they fear for their lot or their jobs. And that's just something wrong about that. And that, and they're not alone. That every three years, the NRC's inspector general surveys the NRC workforce. And for the third survey in a row, the biggest problem is that the workforce doesn't believe that senior management's wants to hear safety issues or that they're afraid to raise safety issues. We did a blog within the last year or so comparing the numbers from the NRC survey to the numbers from safety culture surveys conducted at Millstone and davis Bessey when those plants were in the midst of their problems. The numbers are about the same. The NRC did not allow Millstone or davis Bessey to restart until those safety culture problems were addressed. The NRC's solution to their problems is just to do another survey three years from now and hope they change. They don't really do anything to fix their internal safety culture problems. It's do as I say, not as I do. Hey, Dave, do you think that uh, part of the problem in the back of the NRC's mind is that uh, nukes are barely competitive right now, and if they uh, push any harder, they'll cause other nukes to shut down? I, I think that's a contribution. I don't think any one answer explains a workforce of about 3,800 people. I think a larger factor in, in, in the discussions I've had with uh, workers and managers is that they just don't believe the bad accident can happen. We were talking earlier about people just don't believe that meltdowns are, are possible. And I think that, you know, the fact that these plants don't meet fire protection regulations, they don't meet seismic protection at Diablo Canyon, they don't meet open phase at anywhere but Exelon's plants is not a problem because we're not going to have fires, earthquakes, or, or shorts. We're protected against those kind of accidents unless they happen. You know, that's exactly what the Diet report said. The Diet is the parliament in Japan. And they said that the, the problem underlying all the other problems at Fukushima Daiichi 
was that management just didn't believe that uh, the uh, that the plans were not robust. And you know, when you're in these things, they are so huge and so impressive. And nobody ever asked the question, why are they so huge? And the reason is that in a nuclear core that's maybe 12 by 12 by 12, there's, uh, you know, 4 million horses running around. So it's hard to keep 4 million horses in a 12 by 12 by 12 foot space. When one of them trips, it can make for a hell of a pileup. And we don't look at uh, the robustness as a sign of the amount of forces that need to be restrained. Uh, this hubris goes uh, runs through you, and you feel like you're um, unconquerable. Well, also, I think related that the robustness tends to be a trap. People look at the thick concrete walls and the six-inch thick reactor vessel and so on and think, well, the fact that this widget is impaired or degraded, that's okay because I have six other widgets that are ready to stand in the place. Nobody looks at the common cause or the fact that multiple things can happen. These plants aren't one step away, but when you start having a bunch of pre-existing failures, you shorten the path that must then be filled in to cause that bad day. I want to talk about why the findings at Oconee, you know, north of Oconee and the dams was so important. And I want you and Arnie to talk about how the loss of you know, dam and the flooding, what that would mean, that those would cause, cause Fukushima-type meltdowns. And then I want to talk about Peck and his seismic data has been more than substantiated. It's many times, and there are three new faults that have been uncovered. So can you both talk about that technically? In June of 2010, nine months before Fukushima, the NRC issued a confirmatory action letter to the owner of the three reactors at Oconee in South Carolina. The NRC wanted or demanded that that owner fix some flooding protection issues at Oconee and some associated problems with the Jocassee Dam about 20 miles upriver that could cause its failure. The NRC based that mandate on evaluations that if that dam were to fail, it would flood the Oconee site to 14 feet, which is about the depth that uh, Fukushima was flooded to. And that if that site was flooded to that depth or not even anything above seven feet, there was a 100% chance that all three reactors would melt down. These are the NRC's numbers, and they very seldom underestimate a risk. So that, that risk, that fear is what prompted the NRC to issue that mandate in June of 2010. Those flooding protection problems at Oconee were, were reinforced by the problem at Fukushima nine months later. But ironically, the flooding at Fukushima and the meltdowns slowed down the fixes at Oconee, and they're still not fixed. If it hadn't been for Fukushima, the fixes were supposed to be resolved by now, but somehow the actual event slowed down the potential event. The problems at, at Diablo Canyon were discovered most recently in 2008 when they found a shoreline fault about 300 yards away from the plant. My, Dr. Michael Peck was the NRC senior resident inspector at the time, he looked at that newly discovered fault and the ground motion that it could cause at nearby Diablo Canyon and pointed out that it didn't meet the seismic protection. The homework had not been done to show that it could withstand that, that earthquake. Um, his reward for having pointed that out was to be harassed by their, his agency. We issued a report looking at other times that U.S. nuclear facilities had been found to be unprotected against seismic events going back 40 years. In all prior cases, the NRC had not allowed the plant 
or the facility to operate until that seismic protection shortcoming was resolved. At Diablo Canyon, they're letting the plant run. And it's not clear to me why they they departed from a longstanding policy of protecting American lives. Yeah, I can remember back in the 70s when uh, Stone and Webster had a seismic calculational error and the NRC shut down um, all of the Stone and Webster affected plants for nine months until they rectified the uh, the analysis. So, and when Peter Bradford was, he was a commissioner, when uh, they had the accident in Three Mile Island, Bradford and the uh, other commissioners shut down the Babcock-Wilcox reactors for months until they got to the bottom of it. But here, you know, after Fukushima, we don't do that with the Mark, Mark I reactors. And, uh, you know, like you said, at, uh, at Diablo, we don't do it with the seismic problems either. I looked at the D- Davis-Bessey case in 2002, where the workers discovered the football-sized hole in the reactor vessel head. The NRC inspector general interviewed the NRC senior managers because the staff at the NRC had prepared an order that would have required Davis-Bessey to shut down. The NRC staff applied five criteria for whether a plant is safe or not and determined that Davis-Bessey did not meet four of the five and probably didn't meet the fifth one. And that not meeting four and probably not meeting the fifth was the basis for the shutdown order. NRC senior managers set aside the order and allowed the plant to continue running. When those senior managers were interviewed by the inspector general afterwards, and they said, well, in hindsight, you think you made a mistake? They all said, no, I'd have done the exact same thing because I require absolute evidence that a plant is unsafe before I can order it to be shut down. And you'll never build a stronger case than four out of five not meeting safety requirements in the fifth not. I wonder what it would take for the NRC senior manager to shut down a plant absent people dying at the moment. I don't know what other signs of absolute evidence will ever cause them to take the action that the NRC took in March of 79, or even more recently in March of 87, when they shut down the two reactors at Peach Bottom due to the sleeping operators. Since then, you know, nothing seems to bother you. Know, the problems at Oconee, the problems at Diablo Canyon, the NRC doesn't consider them to be unsafe. I think that's what really makes us afraid here at Fairwinds. You know, we have contact from people all over the world. Arnie just came back from a month-long tour in Japan, and, and our listeners and viewers uh, have seen our uh, Fukushima at Five video and heard our uh, Japan tour podcasts and know what he saw on the ground when he was there, the refugees that he met with and he spoke with, and what this this ongoing tragedy means for the people of Japan and for generations of people because of the exposures, the high, high exposures they're getting that are being denied by the Japanese government. And we look at that and we just can't imagine the it, this industry, the nuclear industry, is not making cotton candy. It's not making peanut butter. Look at the people who died in the peanut butter debacle. And look at what's happened in Flint, Michigan. You know, we have to get moving in a different direction. These are old, old plants that are very vulnerable. You said that if I had it to do over again, I'd do the same thing. That reminds me, the uh, 
There was one person at the NRC who was responsible for uh, botching the inspection that uh, that I discovered, the problems that I discovered at my employer in, in 1990. His name was John White. So this is 1990 is when he knowingly and deliberately botched an inspection to screw me. So Maggie ran into him at a public meeting in 2012. He's still at the NRC, got a couple of promotions along the way. And, uh, and Maggie confronted them. And I'm going to pass it over to Maggie so she can, in her own words, tell you what he had to say. I was at one of those NRC dog and pony shows here in Vermont where they had all their people out. And he was sent there as the, as the director of uh, tritium issues for the region. I questioned him, and I had the inspector general report in my hand that said he was at fault for the fraudulent initial inspection. And he said he looked me right in the eye, and I have a a filmmaker who has it on film, and he said, if I had the chance to do it, I would do it all over the same way again. That's one of the reasons why the NRC keeps getting voted the best place to work for in the federal government, is that whether you make mistakes or not, you continue to get paid and promoted. That's like a license to steal. Well, on that note, I'm going to close that with that. And thank you both Arnie and Dave for all that you're doing as you both travel and speak all over, trying to help people safe, keep the public safe. So thank you very much. And I want that takeaway. Dave, if you could close with that one more time, I want that to be our listeners' takeaway. The NRC keeps getting voted as the best place to work in the federal government. And I think the experiences that we're seeing where you can make mistakes and still get promoted and paid is why that it's like a license to steal. I would agree with you on that. And I'll close on that note. And thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Megan. Ari.